All right. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. The number, as always, is 201-939-4513. I am Russ Salzberg, today joined by Paulie Dots, Paul Dettino. And let me start off right away, Paul, with a, a question for you, a little bit of a trivia question. Okay. Okay. What is the significance of December 18th? 2016. Wow. I was not ready for this. Uh, I know you weren't. That's why I laid it on you. So that would be two years ago. What is the significance of December 18th, 2016? 16. Okay, so this is 18, 17, 16. The Giants were 11 and 5 that year and made the playoffs. Would that have been the date they clinched a playoff spot? No, it was the date... They had won a second game in a row. They have not won a second game in a row since then, and they are going to try to do that this Sunday. Are you kidding me? Well, think about it. They didn't win two games in a row last season, did they? No. So there you go. That's sad. <laughs> be happy. No, you just be, be start, happy. You started the show with a downer, Ross. No, I didn't. They're going for their second win in a row this week. You should be happy. Everybody saw you doing an Irish jig out in the hallway today, for crying uh, out loud. The atmosphere is better in here <laughs> this you week. think? There's no question a, about a that. A black cloud has been lifted, everybody. Uh, folks, I'm telling you, everybody has a little more pep in their giddy-up. Everybody has a, a jump in their step, players, the organization. And, 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 listen, when you're losing a bunch of games in a row, for lack of a better term, it sucks. Everybody's miserable, and you can see the attitude. Uh, now, you know, you know what they say, uh, Paulie, uh, you know, that old baseball uh, saying. Well, winning you, cures you, everything. Yeah, and your momentum is only as good as your next game starting pitching. Well, we don't mm -hmm. have starting pitching, but you met, if you want to keep some momentum, now you're at home. So win a game at home. Win your first game of the season. Uh, well, well, your first home game. You see, my mental and psychological approach to this, and I'm happy to say Coach Pat Shermer has adopted the same philosophy when the Giants came back from the bye week, okay, he told his players uh, following the victory the other day uh, when, when they you know, won their second game of the season that in reality they're 1-0 because he said this is the first win of our eight-game season. They flushed the 1-7 out the door. That's gone. The 1-7 does not exist. There's nothing they could do about it. It is buried. It, it, is, it is a horrible memory, but it's gone. And what Coach Schirmer wants his guys to do philosophically, and he told him this in the locker room after the game. I think you can see the clip on Giants.com, if I'm not mistaken. We are 1-0. It's an eight-game season, okay, 1-0. Let's focus on now beating Tampa Bay. And, you know, I think from a psychological and emotional perspective, Russ, that's the best thing they could possibly do. Because if you keep thinking that, oh, my goodness, the team is 2-7, and seven, we're in a hole. We'll never get out of it. We've got no chance to do this. We've got no ability to do that. That's a great way to just bury yourself. Well, listen, you can't. there's no point. Obviously, you know his star player bought in right away. He did, and, and that was Odell, Odell Beckham, Beckham Jr. Because I'll tell you, I was standing right there at that locker when he was asked the so question. So was I. What? That's right. When and we looked at each other, what's your goal? What's your goal, of Odell, for the second half of the season? And he looked at. You know, not incredulously, but but like he said, 
to win all eight games. He wasn't kidding. No, no, he, he said Nor should he be. Eight games and let's go nine and seven and, you know, see if we can get into the playoffs. He says, you know, when the Giants get into the playoffs at nine and seven, good things happen. So, you know, why not? And and to me, I just thought that was the right answer. What you know, would you have wanted him to say, Well, you know, I'm trying, I like to get more into the end zone. It was nothing about him. It was about the team. And that, that's what it was about. And, and you know, listen, he, he, when he bought in, and I, you, you sense all the players have bought in, I don't know what's going to happen. If, are you asking me, do I expect them to win all their games the second half of the season? And I'd be lying if I told you yes. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to win Understood. all the games. But I know this about players, and I know this about coaches, in particular this head coach, Pat Shermer. He coaches every game to win. That's why that nonsense, gibberish crap uh, about, oh, they should tank the season. To, I mean, that was never a notion by anybody, not at the top, the middle, any place. I want to make something clear to the fans, Russ, because they're not privy to what we get to see on a daily basis around here. I want you to understand, folks, the misery and the dark cloud that everyone in this organization suffers when the team loses. It hurts them. It hurts the people in the offices. It hurts the coaches, the the, the players. Uh, when you the, drive up to, to enter the, the gate, the, the whole you, attitude is different. You could feel it. It yeah. is tangible. As much as you as fans don't like to lose, there are a lot of people here who like it much less. And to emphasize that point, I want to tell you, after the game the other day, there were guys literally almost doing handstands coming off of the field the other day after that game. Sterling Shepard was bouncing around like he had had about 2,000 volts of electricity shot into his backside. He was just absolutely giddy yeah, I, about winning that game. I, I stayed so up, was Eli. I stayed up. To, uh, so was Odell. And, and, and so was these Ingram. Guys. I, I stayed up to watch the post game, and you, you, you did a good job with your interviews on the field. But in particular, Sterling Shepard, I mean, they all look like they just won their Pee Wee Little League championship. That's how enthusiastic they were about the victory. And the locker room was just bubbling over. Now, why do I tell you folks this? Well, because the writers, they're not on the field after the game, so they can't tell you that. Uh, By the time they get into the locker room to get to the players, that emotion's already dissipated because they've had to talk to Coach Shermer first before they get to the players. So it's already kind of melted down a little bit. everybody's chilling a little bit. What I want to tell you is, okay, I can now understand visibly when Dave Gettleman says, you know, I love players who want to win, but I really want players who hate to lose. Let me tell you something. The, the atmosphere and the emotion of this team showed me how much they can't stand to lose and how much they truly worship winning. This is a team and this is a group of players and coaches and owners. They want to taste this a whole lot more the rest of the season. So, yeah, Russ, you know what? If they win out and don't make the playoffs and wind up hurting their draft position, so what? This team wants to win games. Oh, without question. The comment that you just made about Gettleman, yeah, you want guys who want to win, but more so hate to lose. That goes in line. I'll never forget. um, In fact, we were just talking about him over lunch. Uh, Phil McConkey, former giant Phil McConkey, once said to me, he says, you know, Russ, you know why players – rejoice so much 
when, when they win and, and, and they win a championship. You know why they rejoice so much? It's not just that they're happy, th- th- so happy that they won. They're more relieved that they didn't lose because losing at that level is just, you know, devastating. Mm-hmm. The more we cover sports, the more you get to understand that. So yeah. you, there's a lot to be said about that. But uh, and, and if I could add one more thing, you know, again, I, I, we have different access than, than most of the writers do. Uh, I was on the sideline for the game the other night, okay? And Odell Beckham Jr. does nothing but encourage his teammates all up and down the course of the bench. He's, he's, he's talking guys up. He's getting guys' spirits going. He's he's chirping them. You know, everybody wants to talk about when he gets frustrated and gets upset and has a little bit of a of an explosion of emotion on the sideline. They want to talk about the net. They want to talk about uh, you know him running off to get an IV. Okay, but isn't it strange that none of the writers write about how after his touchdown catch he went over to the offensive line and they all sit together on the bench and you know what he did, Russ? He went over to each of those offensive linemen and he gave each one of them a slap on the shoulder and thanked every single one of them for making the play, for blocking for Eli so that he could make that touchdown throw to Beckham in the back of the end zone. Okay? This is the supposed diva wide receiver who isn't well-liked and who's an individual and a cut-up and a cancer and all that other stuff that people who write things want you to believe. Well, I mean, I think that's the unbelievable. Most. L- listen, uh, see, but they don't, but they don't, they, they don't want to tell you that the wide receiver position uh, has become a diva position in the National Football League. But having said that, all the other terms about players not liking him, uh, teammates, cancer, that kind of nonsense. It, it's, it's it is ju- nonsense. It, it's ju- it is Pure just nonsense. a load of crap. I'll tell you another thing that people don't get to see all the time, just because you're bringing something up. Then we'll get to the phones. Phone lines, of course, folks, 201-939-4513. Uh, I'm down on the field, especially, for obviously, for the home games, yeah. uh, early. I'm, I'm watching him work out real early. But I'm also watching him do something else. He commiserates with the fans. Oh, he does. Like no, and and, and All kids, the time. and especially kids who might have problems or, or people. I, I mean like to a big time level being dancing with them or hugging them or high-fiving them. It, it really is quite something to see. So you know what? Bottom line is this. When they win, it, it's a lot easier to talk about these things because unfortunately, as, as Paul just brought up, when you go the other way, especially, listen, New York is a great place to win. It's the best, but it's God-awful terrible to lose. And, and when you're losing, the the buzzards fly overhead, <laughs> and the sharks smell blood in the water. But you know what? Giants are coming off a very big victory. As, as Paul said, it's the first of an eight-game season, so they all want to know, and now they got to move forward. Got, just before we get to the lines, got to remind everybody that Big Blue Kickoff Live here is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win yourself amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's open up the phone lines in Alamucci and speak with Chris. Hello, Chris. You're on with Russ and Paulie Dots today. Uh, hi, Russ. Hey, Paul. Thanks for taking my call. Up Hello. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll make it quick. I know you have a lot of calls. Yeah, I listen. Yeah, the draft is great. There's no guarantees. You know, you pick one, two, or three. So throw it out the window, like you said, Paul, and just uh, let's, let's keep this infectious within the team. 
and let's uh, let's let's get on a, a winning streak here. But I just want to bring up a few points. Um, quietly, I think Nate Solder played a very good game. He did, and uh, and uh, also Jamone Brown. I know a lot of people brought mm-hmm. up Jamone Brown. Beautiful block on that on that touchdown pass to Odell. Yes. However, I haven't heard many people mention. You know, the Giants had problems with stunts early on in the season. That was a nice pickup on a stunt, I believe. That uh, that gave uh, Eli that extra half second to, to find uh, Odell in the back of the end zone. Came so I off, believe that was a stunt that he picked up. He came off the outside guy and then came inside, and the fellow who was coming in, and I forget which lineman it was, he would have been right in Eli's face. And he came in, and he stepped right in the way, and he shut that thing down, and Eli was able to fully step up and make the throw. That's what we're talking about. Give the quarterback a chance to make a play. He did that. The play was made. This is elementary, folks. Okay? This is not hard. All right? What? What? By the way, Russ, let, let's just go over this for one second. The games where the Giants pass protected the best, Houston, Carolina, the other day in San Francisco, is it any coincidence that those were the best games Eli played all year? <laughs> Listen. You know uh, what I mean? You know, I, I – the. All the talk has been... And they uh, scored the most points they scored well, in any well, games this year. In those games. All the talk has been about Eli. If you keep Eli upright and give him time... you know, I, Just I, give him a chance. I, I'll say it till I'm, bl- I'm blue in the face. As Parcells used to say about whether it was Sims or anybody else. It's not exactly Barishnikov back there, but he's pretty <laughs> damn good. And Chris, yeah, listen, what, absolutely, he was able to step up. That right, pocket it, held it, up uh, you know what? There, That's the whole point. That, you, just, you just hit the nail... On the head, Chris. I was just going to say that. We kind of touched on it yesterday, but I'll reiterate. You know, people were talking about Nate Solder. Uh, Well, he's not doing well this year. What's the problem? And and some of the people, and I heard Sean O'Hara talking about this, says, no, he's playing the same way he played with the Patriots. He'd push people, you know, push them out to the outside or, or, or if they're coming around. But then Tom Brady would be able to step up. However, right. prior to this past week, there was no place for Eli to step up to. That's why there was a problem. This week, you had Jamon Brown back in there and, you know, and then Hernandez. And all of a sudden, there was room for Eli to step up. And you saw the net result. Very good point, Chris. I think the other yeah. thing before Absolutely. you go, Chris, I want to just say this. The Giants yep. were much better balanced. Uh, Eli threw mm-hmm. 31 passes, and the Giants, I think, ran the ball 23 or 24 times in the game. That's a good number, okay? You don't want Eli having to throw the ball 43 times in a game because right. that and puts more. Have him under center, like we saw. We saw much more under center. No question. Well. So the that kind of game, the, the even though they didn't run for a ton of yards, they didn't have 100 yards rushing, and offensively they didn't exactly explode for 400 either. I get all of that, but it was efficient. It was efficient, and it kept the Niners' defense off balance. And it produced how many points, Russ? 27. Oh, wow, 27 points. <laughs> and, and, and you know what, Chris? Wow. You, you bring up the point of him, uh, of Eli being under center. Well, you know, there's another factor. Whether they weren't getting chunks of yards in the running game, they were getting yards, and they were sticking with it. What'd that do? That opened up play action, and you saw the net result of that. I mean, everything That's- changes. So. Yep. Yep. Of, of two more quick points. Once again, I know you have a lot of calls. My other point, my other, my two quick points is 
Actually, one point and then a comment. Um, it was nice to see him you know, go downfield quite a bit to Odell. I called a while ago saying, uh, you know what, throw the ball downfield, even if he's covered, because I get the feeling that these officials, more times than not, Odell's going to get the call. They're going to they're going to lean towards Odell with the, with the penalty. It just seems that way. But yeah, maybe he won't get that first one. But it puts them on notice. And Odell's always looking for a flag, just like every other receiver. And it seems like the next time he's getting the flag thrown if it's even if it's even close. Well, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, no, but the the point being, you know, any and everybody has trouble covering Odell. So the ch- the the chance. I'm not going to say the likelihood, but the chance is there. For some pass interference, and you know, listen, right. you got to slow him down. I, I, I mean, yeah. I don't. I, I kind of tend to think along the lines of um, Paul here, Chris. But you do make a point that you know it. It makes the officials aware. That's all. Yeah, you know, it's like Gilbert. It's taking your shots, and that's that's what that's I like a, to see yes. on, on Monday. Last thing, the only pet peeve I had was before the two minute more warning in the fourth quarter. I don't know why they ran that play. I, I it was I think two eighteen left on the clock. I wish they would have just ran that down to two, and even if Eli had to get on the center and maybe draw him offside, just run it down to the two-minute warning. That's that's my only complaint at the end of the game was was running a play at two eighteen. Well, I think they were trying to save themselves what was going to be a bonus timeout, not yeah. knowing if they were going to need it. Right. To be honest right. with okay. you, because at that point in the game, you didn't know a hundred percent they were going to get the go-ahead touchdown. At that point, you're saying, okay, they've got a chance to at least tie the game with a field goal. And if they can get the touchdown, great, but you're thinking at least field goal there. And you've got to make sure that you have enough time. And if you can use that extra two-minute warning as a timeout, you want to keep that in your pocket. I don't have a problem with that. No, either did I. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the call, Chris. Okay. All right, buddy. Thank you. One, One point real quick, Russ. Real fast here. The common denominator, all the basic, simple, fundamental things that aren't sexy got done in that game the other day. Better balance on the play selection. Better protection for the quarterback, taking some shots downfield, and oh, by the way, even though there were a lot of penalties, Giants weren't as clean as they needed to be, they only had a couple of drops in the game. And as it turned out in the fourth quarter, everybody held on to the ball when they needed to. Yeah, I'm sure you said the same thing to yourself as I did on the first pass which was in Odell's bread basket, and oh, it was yeah. dropped. And I'm saying to myself, this is not a good omen. The way the game started, oh, no. Well, let me, this let is me not say, a good omen. Sterling Shepard, when he caught the winning touchdown pass, was right in front of me. In fact, he practically fell on my feet because right. I was right there. The only thing I could think about when he went up to catch that ball is when he comes down, is he going to slide out of bounds, lose it like he did in Philadelphia, Philadelphia last, last week, season. and they're going to come season. up with a cockamamie ruling and say right. he I, didn't hold it I thought and they're the going to take thing. this touchdown I, I, away. I thought the same thing. You're talking about that was the game Elliott kicked a 61-yard yes. field goal. Yeah. Yes, and, I, and and that's just the kind of way the karma's been for this team. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, no. No, yeah, yeah. no, no. Hold the ball through the action. Without without question. 201-939-4513. Let's continue with phone calls. Let's go to our buddy in Delaware, Coach Marvin. Hello, Coach. Around with Russ and Paulie Dots. How you doing, Russ and Paul? Hey, Marvin. What's up, Coach? Uh, I guess it's a good day today. This is a good week. Everybody sounds happy today. Yes, they do. <laughs> Marvin, just just trying to get some of the fundamentals right. When you do that, you got a better chance to win. That's right. They and the, and and the reason the receivers did well, the defense played well, all the, and and uh, Eli played well. But the bottom line. And I would have liked to have heard that on, on line in the locker room that they had 
praise the way the offensive line has played. They played outstanding um, this past week, and that opened up the whole team, not just Eli, the running game, the passing game, the defense played well because everybody was feeling like um, they had a chance to win that game, and they played that way. Hey, uh, uh, y- you know, Coach uh, Coach Pat Shermer said at the beginning of the season, uh, we're only going to go as far as the offensive line is going to take us. Well, on Monday night, they took them pretty good. You know, Coach Marvin, I wouldn't mind seeing them run for 130 yards in the game. I mean, again, yeah. they didn't run for 100, but there was enough balance and enough of enough of a running game to keep the Niners honest. You know as well as I do as a coach, that's that's half the battle. You don't want the other team to cheat one way or another because then you're giving them an edge before you even snap the football. That's right. And it, 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 it's easy on the defensive side of the ball to call your defenses when you can make them one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. You, don't have, you don't have a lot of choices you're going through. Maybe two or three plays that you got in your head that the other team could do. But if you got them one-dimensional, you can, you can keep them at bay that way. But um, the telling play, I thought, of the way they played, there was a play action by um, Eli. Eli, is, people got to realize, he's a play action passer, mm-hmm. which is an excellent passer. He's not a guy that runs around. He's not a guy that you don't have a running game. You've got to have some things around him. You've got to have attempts and runs. Um, we like to see the yards with it. But they have to have those attempts for him. So he can't play action. But there was a dig route by, um, by uh, Odell in the middle of the field that, um, that uh, Manning hit him on. There was no one at his feet. It was clean. The route was clean. It was a beautiful play and well executed. And that bit was telling of how well the offensive line was playing. Then um, they also had a route in, the, um, in that last two-minute dr- uh, dr- um, two drill where he hit Ingram going mm-hmm. down the sideline, yep. which was also a nice, timely pass. And when you get the offensive line giving them plays, and these plays that people got to realize, it's all timing. Got to give them time to run those routes. Got to give them time to clear out um, defenders in areas. And the offensive line gave them that. But I did have some concerns. Uh, Eli threw two passes that I was concerned about. It was a, one where he had um, Odell on a nine route. Yep. And he beat two players. Yep. And the ball hung up. And it looked like somebody shot it out of the air. Yeah. The ball came out of his hands, funny, Marvin. I saw that, too. And let me tell you something. Uh, Odell and, and Eli, they run that play a lot in practice, and it's fine every time. That particular play, though, on that given night, the ball came out of his hands and had nothing on it. It was an aberration. That's, that's, that's not an indication that Eli's arm is shot. He just, no. he just threw a rotten ball at that particular throw. It, it looked like it was thrown yeah. way too high. Yeah, it was a bad. It was just, well, he just lost it off his hand. Yeah. Well, I mean, that happens with all quarterbacks sure. in every team. Ain't no one throwing a perfect game. I mean, you're going to have some throws where they're off. But there, mm-hmm. that did worry me a little bit because I'm not at the practice. I don't see him, and that did worry me. And he had a – looked like he threw one that was short behind um, behind um, Barkley down the flat. Not in the flat. He was on the sideline on a wheel route. I remember I that play, that was Marvin. A back shoulder. Was that a back shoulder? Play? And and that's what I think. I did not talk to Saquon about that play. I did interview him after the game, but I did not have a chance to ask him about the wheel route. I thought that was supposed to be a back shoulder throw where Barkley was supposed to stop that route, run the guy off, 
and then come back and make the catch because there was tight coverage going downfield. And the truth of the matter was, if you watch the play, I don't know if you remember it, Russ, it was down the the right sideline as the Giants were going down here. It was in front of the the, uh, Niners bench. And the truth of the matter was, if that was a, a go, there was no room to get that ball in there because the defender had actually run Barkley so close to the sideline, it would have taken more than a miraculous throw if he'd, had he looped it and, and tried to hit the receiver. I really believe that that was the wrong route. That's my hunch. I will try to figure that out if I, if I can I, get that for you, Marvin. I think it was the right route, but you might be right. It might have been something where he was going to do a fade. He didn't have room, but the defender was sort of even to on top of him. He was. And I think Eli might have thought, if the defender's on top, then I got a back shoulder fade you. And Barkley didn't look for the back shoulder. That's what it looked like on television. What I would have preferred, to be honest with you, I didn't think, based on the way Barkley ran the route and where the defender was, I didn't think it was a completable pass. I almost would have rather Eli just thrown that away, to be perfectly I, frank I with you. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. And there was another, uh, uh, two more plays. There was a play, the one I talked about, where Ingram went uh, along the sideline. Um, in that two-minute drill. And sometimes I notice when he has some drops, but I don't know if you watch his hands and where his thumbs are compared to when you're catching the ball. Your thumbs got to be positioned certain ways depending on how the ball is mm-hmm. coming to you. And I noticed, uh, and I noticed it in his rookie year, and I noticed this uh, quite a bit. He grabs at the ball, and I think that causes his drop sometimes. Instead of some, times where the ball is thrown to you, if you watch Odell, and I'm not comparing the two, but Odell, I'm using him because of the way he uses his hands. He, yeah, well, he, the ball sits in Odell's hand. The way he catches it, it sits in his hand. Yeah, but but, you to, but coach, you, you're talking about a guy who can take a football in his hand and make I, it look I, like a marble. That's right. That's why. That's why I said I hated using Odell yeah. as an example. But and when we're teaching, we teach them all the same. Right. And we're teaching them. So depending on how the ball is coming to you, where the positions of your hands You're are right. to control the ball. And he grabbed at that ball. And I see him do that often where if you go back and look at the tape, it's on, on the site. You go back and look at that play. Watch his hand when he grabs at the ball. He made the catch. But I think that causes him some drop that time. Interesting so thought, Marvin. All right, Coach. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Coach Marvin. Good caller from uh, Always. Delaware. Always. All right, 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's go to our friend in uh, Canton, New York, Dylan. Hello again, Dylan. You're on with Russ and Paulie Dots today. Hey, good afternoon, guys. What's up, Dylan? Hello. Uh, well, I called yesterday. I spoke to Russ, and uh, I remember you were talking about some of the comments that um, I think Booger said yesterday and stuff like that. Yes. Um, I watched yesterday, I was watching first take, because uh, I normally watch all the sports shows, you know, host well. Giants game, just to hear analysis and stuff. <laughs> and Unfortunately, it, you're going to hear a lot of smoke. So let's hear. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I heard Max Kellerman, he was going on, you know, and I know he's a Giants fan as well. But um, he, was, he called the Giants a joke of a franchise, well, which really well, yeah, set well, me off. Well, you want to know what? I'm sorry. And, go ahead, finish, and then I'll, I'll have what to say about that. Okay. And then um, he was talking about, you know, the Giants winning meaningless games and, you know, towards the end of the season. And 
Um, they were hurting their draft draft capital, which personally I I totally disagree with because saying, you know, and I know fans say it too, they want the Giants to tank to get a high draft pick, but if Max and all these Giants fans have followed the Giants for as long as they can remember, you know, the Giants never quit and they never tank. That's just something that they don't do, they'll never do. The Giants are one of the classiest organizations um, in, I think, any sport, you know, and I follow a lot of sports, and I think the Giants are one of the classiest organizations, and to say to the players they need to tank, they need to, you know, well, not play, whatever, it's, it's disrespectful to not only the players but the coaches because they're here to win games. Well, Dylan, Dylan, let me just say this, okay? Uh, you bring up a sore point with me because, uh, you know, Max Kellerman could tell everybody he's a great Giants fan. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's a load of crap. And the reason I say that, and I don't spend time watching first day because a lot of times I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm doing other things. So I'm not, I'm not watching it. But he did a thing a few weeks back, uh, and he was on with Stephen A. Smith. And, you know, Stephen A. Smith kind of looked at him incredulously. And he's, he was, first of all, he was saying, you got to get Eli Manning out of there. Uh-huh. Eli Manning stinks. You got to bring in a dynamic quarterback. They got to sign Colin Kaepernick right away. Don't tell me that this guy is a good Giants fan because, quite frankly, he don't know the difference between his rear end and his elbow when it comes to Giant business. Dylan, I'm going to make this real simple for you, and I, I don't want to attack Max or anybody well, else in particular. I will. But I'm, I'm going to make this very, very simple for you. If you really want to have a better understanding as to what's going on with the team and, and what their attitude is, then listen to people who are here all the time. Don't listen to these TV and radio folks or some of these columnists who have never set foot on the property, who have never watched a practice, okay, who have no idea what it's like to stand on the sideline and look at Pat Shermer as he's running, running the, the, the drills with these guys, okay? Listen to the guys who A, are here, who B, don't have interest in clickbait numbers, okay, because that, of course, is a significant problem. And then C, the other thing is, if you want to listen to someone like Brian Baldinger, who proves to you every single time he's on the air that he has spent hours in the caverns of NFL films dissecting tape and will show you that tape on his Twitter and on his NFL.com listen, show. Listen to Phil Sims when, when Phil Sims is talking. Phil Sims, another stud- guy. He studies tape he, all the time. He yeah. doesn't pull it out of his rear end. Okay. He knows what he's talking about. So, Not because he's an ex-player, because there are a lot of ex-players who don't study. He studies. So that's the point. Dylan, listen to those guys. Don't pay any attention to the folks who either have clickbait as an agenda or who aren't even here because they don't know anything. You know, I, oh, yeah. uh, Dylan, uh, you know, Max is there for one reason. L- let me th- throw something out there. Let me stir the pot and create controversy. Okay. That, and that's just what, it's no coincidence that, you know, uh, he and Booger work for the same operation. And Booger was doing the same thing on Monday night, which, quite frankly, that whole cast was doing the same thing. The whole crew was doing the same thing uh, on Monday. You know, that, and one of the callers yesterday brought up, it's almost, he was saying it. That's on the producer because it seemed like they came in with an agenda. They weren't. They were talking about Gettleman this and get, I mean, you you are analyzing the game. He's going into some nonsense about Eli not 
uh, Booger, not Eli, getting into the Hall of Fame. He, or he, I don't think he's a Hall of Fame it's, it's quarterback. It's not worth the, the no, breath, Ross. Dylan, not. Dylan, just be selective in who you pay attention to and how you formulate your opinions. That's all I'm trying to tell you. And, and I'm oh, not, yeah. not going to name names and insult certain people, but I think you could pretty much kind of discern who the people are who really know what's going on because they're eyewitnesses to it. They see it and they hear it all the time as opposed to those who are not. That's all. Do yourself okay. a favor. Do that, and then you won't have to deal with this garbage. Yep, that's why I, I tune into you guys I t- uh, all season long, all the shows, everything. I watch you guys. Is, uh, you know, even if it's short video clips, I always tune in. And, you know, cause I, I think your guys' analysis is the best, and it's always reliable and everything like that. And appreciate we, that. All Jets fans appreciate it for sure. Um, the last comment I want to make is, you know, like I said, this is their jobs. You know, they're here for a reason. And I think in this situation with adversity, it separates the men from the boys. And, you know, it's as a coach, if I was coaching, you know, I would want my players to step up in this type of adversity and we'd want to prove people wrong. You know, e- either way, the Giants, you know, at, at the point that they're going, they're going to have at least a top 10, top 15 draft pick. So they're still going to have opportunity and you know they're they'll have somebody come in and Gettleman's very smart with the draft we had right now four players out of this previous draft that have made immediate contributions mm-hmm. so I I believe in Gettleman no matter where we pick from this year Dylan there's one thing to remember as you go I want to say it very very succinctly if you are not part of the solution you are part of the problem so you better show that you're part of the solution now because there may not be a tomorrow yep have a good day. All right, Dylan. Thanks for calling, buddy. As always, call again. 201-939-4513 is the number. Let me just, before we continue on, let me just read something which is quite important, especially if you plan on coming to the game Sunday when the Giants face the um, Bucks. Giants will host the annual food drive at MetLife Stadium Sunday. So, again, if you are coming to the game, please make sure to bring canned or non-perishable food items and donate them into collection bins that's going to be located at all of your uh, stadium entry gates. Not one, but all of them. All contributions are going to be donated to the uh, Food Bank for New York City for distribution to local partner charities in the area. For more information, folks, if you need it, just visit Giants.com, the same place where we live here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is Giants.com. And again, we're going to remind you all that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. I, I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, he brought up something. And you know what? Some weeks back, I was going to bring it up, and I didn't bring it up on the air uh, because I didn't want to give him any... Uh, publicity on it but since Dylan brought up Max Kellerman and then he's saying he was at it again today I mean the way he was going at Eli Manning Eli stinks Eli which is you shut up you know really and, and like you say you're right I mean it's it's easy to, to to be a big tough guy from a distance okay show up in a locker room you're done early show up in a locker room once in a while you know let, let's see what's going on you know, tell somebody to their face that they stink. Well, it's like Coach Marvin said. He saw an underthrown long ball by Eli the other night, and he was a little bit worried about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I could tell you, we see Eli throw 50 and 60-yard bombs in practice all the time with plenty of mustard. So, you know, if you're here and you see it, great. It's like I'm a big Yankees fan. I don't hide that. I'm a huge Yankees fan. Do I have any clue about the dynamic 
in the Yankees' locker room? Do I have any understanding as to what Aaron Boone's relationship is with his players? No, I don't. Therefore, I'm not going to opine about it. It's right. not my place to do so. Nor is it any place of these other people who want to rip and shred different parts of this organization or this roster, and they've never been to a practice. 201-939-4513 is the number. I concur with you, my friend. But now let's go down to South Carolina, Paulie, and check in with Steve. Steve, hello again. You're on with Russ and Paulie Dots today. Yeah, hey, Russ. Hey, Paul. What's it's going on? All right. What I want to do is really kind of people address the team, this idea of tanking, drafting, all of the other stuff. What really you have to look at is just live within the season and deal with how this team progresses. Mm-hmm. And where I'm coming back as I moved to uh, um, D.C. in 81, and that was the year that an offensive coordinator from San Diego became the head coach. Ray Perkins. And everyone was complaining about it, and that was Joe Gibbs. Oh, I, I, I was thinking Perkins with the Giants earlier. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, he lost his first five games. With, yeah. with, uh, with the Redskins that year, and they wanted his head, and they think the thing was a mess. Then they went 8-3, and three, and then the following year they went to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not saying we're going to the Super Bowl next year, but I am saying as the dynamics of the team starts to improve and keep working towards this year, and as you build up that team spirit and camaraderie, what we're now seeing here, and is definitely different than last year, we are going to see a better team. Mm-hmm. We've been blown out in really only one game, and that was the Philadelphia game. Yes. Every other game was competitive. Steve. And it's just a matter of getting a system together, getting the right people together that everyone feels good about, and let's start to see the results. Yeah. I personally the- think we should have a winning season from the, this this eight-game season that, that uh, Pat Shermer keeps talking about. I totally agree with you. And, Steve, it is counterproductive for them to lose a ton of games and get a higher draft pick. Because, yes, you get the higher draft pick. That's true. But you haven't built anything with, uh, within your roster or your locker room. And, when, and that loss outweighs any gain in draft choice that you make. And one thing you, real, you also haven't built when you're doing that. If, if you, first of all, football is a different beast, Steve. And I'm sure you understand as being a sports fan, football is a different beast than, let's say, basketball. Because one difference about football when people talk about tanking, but the other thing about football, it's a physical, violent game. Guys get beat up in practice. They get beat up on Sundays. And, and, you know, tanking is one thing. Tanking in such a violent atmosphere, you want to talk about killing morale, that's a good way to do it. No, like to me, I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. I mean, you've, you've heard us, th- Paulie and myself, say it time and time again. I mean, I, that, that tanking nonsense is a bunch of crap. And anybody who says that, quite frankly, to me, doesn't have a clue of what they're talking about. Yeah. And the only one other point I'd like to make for everyone here, and I'm reiterating what you're saying, Paul, is that um, – you know, understanding, I've only been listening to you guys for about a year now and, you know, picking you up on the Internet well, and doing you. that. And um, the thing I appreciate about you, both the, the host and the audience, is actually I think this is a higher level discussion here than I ever hear on most sports, sports shows. 
on here. So I, th I, I think uh, the audience needs to be proud of itself, and I really appreciate the insights that you do give us on here and a little bit on that insight of, of what the team is going through and how they're feeling and how the morale is changing. Well, we certainly Thank try, you, and we appreciate it. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much. You good? He's done. Steve is done. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's now go to PA, Pennsylvania. Check in with Steve. Steve, you're on with Russ and Paulie Dots today. Uh, Jeff, excuse me. Jeff, you're on with Paulie Dots today. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. call. First time caller Hi. here. I uh, appreciate the show. Appreciate everything you do. Where Thank in, you. Where in Pennsylvania, buddy? Uh, Shippensburg. Shippensburg. Okay. What do you got for yeah. us? South Central. Uh, just to, to piggyback on Dylan's stuff, and you guys are talking about the morale, and I know you guys have the feel of the locker room. And I, I, trust me, I feel great about the win on Monday night. It was awesome. But after the game was over, we were sitting on the couch. My wife looked at me, and she said, hey, we finally got a win. And she said, you don't look like you're too happy about it. And I'm like, oh, I'm happy about it. But we all know it was, you know, we fought in the trenches, but it wasn't the prettiest win of, of a football game. <laughs> and there were definitely some down things. But uh, it looked like on the sidelines, until we finally won the game, there was a time when they showed Pat Shermer's face. Uh, you know, we had the two penalties on the kickoff returns, the kickoff out of bounds. It just looked like his face was drained and said, how, what do I have to do to get this turned around? And I know that they finally did it and won a game and is it great, but it just seemed like after the bye they had such high expectations and it looked like it wasn't going to go the way that they wanted it to go. Well, I, I, how, I, how does this feel in the locker room and wow. the players and the coach? Well, uh, you, you know what, what Jeff? You, I, 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 you, I don't want to say you're off base, Jeff, because that would not be fair. Here's part of the problem with any TV situation, and these guys are always on. I mean, the spotlight is always on them. If they blow their nose, it's on them. If, oh, yeah. if they snicker at something, if they make a sarcastic look, they're caught on everything, and sometimes that just doesn't tell the whole story. It's the same thing sometimes. You know, I remember years gone by in different situations. A team, maybe a team is getting smacked. And you, they'll they'll catch somebody on the sideline, laughing or sitting on the bench, and th then right. then all, all, automatically, you know, like the guy is convicted of not caring, and that's not true. Like somebody, something could have happened, some some small, innocuous nothing, a, a meaningless thing could have happened. The, you caught him with a smile, and he doesn't care. Uh, yeah, I, I listen. Quite frankly, when um, the second half started and uh, uh, Aldrich Roses, who's having a great season, yeah. kicked that ball out of bounds, you want to know what? If you looked at me sitting on my couch, I was making the same face that Pat Shermer right. was. So, Actually, he I mean, so was Rosas when he came over yeah, the sideline. Rosas he was, was disgusted with himself. You're damn right. And, and you because saw, he cares. And you saw Shermer say something to him, and that was it. Yep. Yeah, they were all PO'd. So, yeah, I mean, a little facial expression of, of, of looking a little. Listen, you're one in seven, and I'll tell you what, Shermer has done a marvelous job. Because, excuse me, two and seven now, but Shermer has done a marvelous job of keeping that locker room up. Guys continuing to fight. There are no factions in there. So, 
what you catch for a facial expression is one thing. The bottom line is, are they together? And they are. So, I mean, I understand your point, Jeff, but don't read into some of that facial stuff on a side. It's the same thing. Listen, I remember it's classic. Phil Sims got into it with Parcells. 83. Well, no, this was... This was later because oh, okay. he, he F-bombed Bill on the sidelines no, no, in 83. No, no this, this, <laughs> this was after 88, okay? okay? And um, they were arguing something about it, and somebody said to Bill afterwards, you know, what was that all about? Uh, because Ron Earhart, Fargo, was also involved in it. Love who, Fargo. Who, who was the uh, offensive, offensive coordinator. coordinator. Yeah. And, you know... Bill turns around and says, well, finally, with a few F-bombs thrown in, I had to tell everybody to shut the bleep up (laughs) because you know what? They're arguing today. They're arguing about this, and it's the second quarter. And before we know it, if this continues, it's going to be the next game's first quarter. You know, know, so what you capture on a sideline sometimes is just not the way it seems to be. Jeff, I can assure you from being on that sideline the entire night, that team was fully engaged from start to finish. Yep. And that is a credit to Coach Shermer and, and the other leaders on that team, including Odell Beckham Jr., if you've heard earlier in the program, the way I talked about how he congratulated the offensive line for giving Eli protection on his first uh, touchdown catch. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember the last time I was down there on the sideline and I saw a wide receiver be so animated in his congratulations to an offensive lineman. I, I, I can't remember the last time I saw that. You know, Jeff, uh, s- since you're bringing up, you know, you know, Shermer on the sideline, I'll tell you what the best reaction to Shermer on the sideline was. After Eli threw the touchdown pass, I don't know if you caught it, and he was coming off the field. Oh, yeah. And he gave, he gave, e- he gave sure Eli did. a real hug. Sure and it, it was yeah. a short, sweet affectionate, basically saying, you're my quarterback. That was terrific. You know what was funny, too? When Eli came off the field, I I, I left the field with uh, him and Shepard as they were finally coming off the field to go to the locker room. And you should have seen the fans cheering for Eli and Shepard at the tunnel as the Giants were heading off to their locker room. Giant fans who made the trip. They were absolutely enthralled yeah. with what Eli Manning had just done, the magic of his fourth-quarter comeback victory. And it's like if you had just taken a video of that, if you had seen that snapshot, you would never know about the smog, and I use that term literally, yeah, it was the more, smog that has been around this New York City metropolitan area of those people who want to rip this quarterback to shreds. Yeah, unfortunately. Talk Thank about- you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Bill, just let me, uh, one right. thing before I go. I just hope that you guys, you know, that was great and uh, good uh, reporting back because I think that's what the fans need to hear. Uh, we need to be in support of this team, and I hope it carries over this weekend when we come, when we bring it home. All right, Jeff. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, pre- appreciate it. You were talking about smog, and I, this is no joking matter. That uh, situation out in California. Terrible. Just, just god awful. Those people, folks. I can't even imagine. And God bless them all. And I hope every one of them finds a way to oh. get through this tragedy because it, it is rough. And, and I will tell you this, Ross, being there, you couldn't look more than two blocks without yeah. seeing some type of, of like onion paper haze yeah. in your vision because there was definitely residue of that smog yeah, it, over the stadium. And you could smell it. And you could almost taste it after a while. Well, to to watch to watch the video and, and yeah. the pictures on TV. I mean, it looks looks like a movie set. 
It looks like uh, it looks like one of those uh, action movies. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, ho hopefully, scary uh, beyond belief. Better times ahead for all of those people. It's heartbreaking. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number from Pennsylvania. Let's go uh, nearby here in Secaucus and check in with James. Hello, James. You're on with Russ and Paulie Dots. James. Hello. James, going once. James, going twice. James, sold out in Secaucus. 201-939-4513 <laughs> is the number. Uh, we'll take this time then to remind you folks that Big Blue Kickoff Live here is presented again by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win yourself amazing Giants prizes throughout this season. We'll also take a little advantage now, Paulie, just to remind the people again, Giants are going to be hosting their annual food drive at MetLife Stadium this coming Sunday when they take on the uh, Bucks. If you're coming to the game, please, please, please bring canned or non-perishable food items and donate them into the collection bins that you're going to see located at all. Not one, but all of the stadium entry gates. All contributions will be donated to the Food Bank for New York City for distribution to local partner charities in the area. So for more information, all you got to do is visit Giants.com. Please do that, folks, because every year the Giants not only have a food drive for those less fortunate, they also have a coat drive where, you know, if you have new or gently used coats that you're not going to be using for the winter, mm. there are folks throughout the metropolitan area who could badly use some warmth. Amen. And they do that. And then, of course, for it seems like 30 years now, Russ, the Toys for Tots program, which which I'm really a big supporter of. I think every child during the holiday should have the opportunity to open a gift. Uh, please support these Giants uh, charitable programs down the end part of the season. If you're coming out to the stadium, always go to Giants.com. Find out the details of which charity or which organization is part of the Giants um, a deal that day and see what you can do about just bringing something because it's always a worthwhile cause. Well said, Paulie. 201-939-4513, the number. Let's go down to North Carolina and check in with Phil. Hello, Phil. You're on with Russ and uh, Paulie Dots. Yes, hi, guys. Uh, let's see. I wanted to, before I get into the free agent sign, and I talked to Paul about this in the past, uh, just a couple of things on the special team in the last game. Uh, I'm almost getting to the point where I say on every punt or, or kickoff, if it's in the, uh, if it's a kickoff, it's in the end zone, just, just take it out to, you know, just put your hand up and take it out to the 25 because the amount of holding penalties we're getting is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, the penalties and, are rough. I will tell you, though, Corey Coleman yes, did, did a really nice job on kick returns the other night, and I'm kind of excited, and I think they are, too, to see what more he can do. Yeah, well, they're excited not just about that, but he also made a big catch on a third down play as a receiver. Go ahead, Phil. Well, well, yeah, I mean, he's fine. It's the other guys, right? The other components. <laughs> yeah, he didn't commit so, the penalty. So, that's correct. So, so that was the, that's the question. So, but anyway, um, and and the, the last thing about this game was, you know, Hockley Jr. is kind of like his old man in that he, he enjoy he thinks he's the focus of the game with all the penalties and not the not the game itself, you know. So. Uh, but so I thought a lot of the calls were ticky tack on both sides, not just um, you know. But I thought there was some ticky tacks the other way too. So um, it, it, the free agents I talked to about Devon Kennard, and I said, uh, you know, it, it, he was dead. I can't see how Martin is an upgrade over him, and 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 so far D Devon is is playing well, and, and he's a good player. And so now I'm going to pick on another one. Uh, Andrew Adams, and um, you know, I, how they think. 
Uh, Riley is better than Andrea Adams. I, I just don't see it. So my question to specifically to Paul is, you know, for practices, it, did Riley look that much better than Adams uh, for for them to pick Riley over Adams? I mean, Adams was is a good tackler. So I just I just it just baffles me why that was the decision made. Well, here's what the Giants evaluated. They looked at Andrew Adams and they said he's much more of a box safety or a strong safety than he is a free safety. Therefore, he'd be better off backing up Collins than starting at the free safety spot next to him. Uh, they looked at Riley and they said, okay, he's got cover skills of a corner because, you know, he's, he's been a corner in this league before. They looked at his speed and they liked his speed. They figured he could cover more ground back there. And then they said that his smarts, apparently during the preseason, he did a much better job on picking up the plays and the coverages and helping to line guys up back there in the secondary. And for those three reasons, they decided to go with Curtis Riley. Now, I would say this to you. I think if you strictly look at the production that Andrew Adams gave to the Giants when he started here compared to what Curtis Riley has put on tape this season, I think Andrew Adams outweighs what Curtis Riley did. I would not argue that at all. I think you're absolutely correct. But given if you want to turn back the calendar, why they made the decision that they made, they felt that Riley was a better fit as a true free safety. Now I think I think we would both agree they're going to look to upgrade that spot during going into next year. Would you not think so? Oh, absolutely. That's a, you know when I was thinking about the draft the other day, really free the safety. You, you think safety uh, pass rushers on defense, and you think uh, offensive linemen uh, on offense, and uh, those are the needs. But mm-hmm. you know it's it's almost like the fact that. Uh, okay, Riley kind of fits some of these boxes. It's almost like going to the combine. You go to the combine, you check things off. Someone's fast, you check them off. Oh, he should be ideal for this. Well, you're not looking at the tape. And that's what I would say is you're not looking you know, with Riley and Adams. You're not looking at the tape. You know, Adams clearly, yes, he, he can play box, but he did a better job than Riley as when he was as a free safety. You know, the shame of it is they tried four different guys next to Collins at free safety during training camp. Thanks for the call, Phil. And nobody sees the job. Honestly, to be, to be frank with you, Russ, nobody was head and shoulders above the rest during training camp and during the preseason. And that's why ultimately they decided, okay, let's look at the checklist. Who's got the skills that meet the checklist? And that's why they went with Riley. All right. Paul, we got five minutes here, and uh uh-oh. I got a bad feeling about this. Hallelujah. Losing his mind. Mr. Illness. He wasn't right. I can't believe you did that. I am happy. You're a madman. And here we go. Wow. Oh, he, he he's hovering over from Portland, Maine. Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie. Hey, Ross. Hey, Paul. Hi. What's up, Charlie? Better watch out. Better not pout. JPP is coming to town. You know, he's been a lot. He's looking for some sacks. Now, did he go up against Solder? Is he on that side? You broke up on us there. I didn't hear that clearly, Charlie. I said, so, does JPP go up against uh, Solder on, the, on that side? Yes. Yeah, good. Good. I'm glad because I think uh, Solder will do a good job. 
And, you know, Solzer had like a 92 point whatever it was on the pro football focus grade. I mean, the guy was just uh, totally, you know, and I think he's been injured. Remember he had a neck pro- neck injury and the guy's been gutting it out and he didn't come Wait out of the lineup? I think that had to have something to do with his, with his uh, performance. Well, li- and- listen to Charlie here. Charlie's defending the Giants' offensive line. He's being positive about the offensive line. Boy, oh boy, it, it must be the holiday season, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got rid of all the other guys that I couldn't stand, so, you know, it yeah, was good. Yeah, wait, wait, good. which, by the way, before we got on the air today, uh, Paulie brought out to me that uh, Patrick Omame uh, has gone to the same place that Eric Flowers has gone. Yeah, um, the uh, the, the, no, the, to the Jaguars. <laughs> no, so. no, the Jaguars resigned him today. Resigned him today. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Is that unbelievable? Injuries. That's why. That's the only reason. Yeah. Well, I that, mean, that's what happened. But what did you think of Jamon Brown? Come on, Charlie. Come on, Charlie. I thought, Charlie. Yeah. I thought he was great. I mean, um, and Wheeler played so much better having that guy next to him. Uh, even Wheeler had a good grade. So I know we didn't go up against you know a juggernaut defensive uh, pass rush, but still, I mean, hey, rush. You know, it's like we're one and zero. We're not. Two and seven. We're one and No, well, that's what, you know, Charlie, I don't know if you just uh, tuned in, but uh, Paulie was bringing that out, and that's what Shermer told the guys. We can't do anything about the one and seven. We got eight games to go. We are now playing an eight-game season, and right now the, he, he said exactly what you just said, Charlie. They are one and oh. Exactly, and we got seven more to go. And the last game of the year, we're going to be playing Dallas at home for the divisional championship. Oh that's boy! What's, that's oh, what's coming down, Charlie! Charlie! <laughs> yeah. What a difference! This guy—you give a guy a little help on the offensive line, and Charlie is happy as a pig wow. in slop for crying out loud. Wow. Well, you give Eli time. Amen. The chip. Hey. He wasn't able. We weren't able to give him the line he needed the last four or five years because the guy still has it. He's a Hall of Famer, and and uh, I, I'm excited to watch Eli go out if he's going to go out on a high note. So thanks, guys. All right, yeah, you know, and you know what? Listen, we we got a minute. And we're just going to wrap things up here, but don't be so sure. You, you, I'm not saying that Charlie is saying that, folks. Don't be so sure Eli is going anyplace. This is not inside information. I don't have inside information. Paulie doesn't have inside information on this. Just watch for yourselves over these next eight games. You know, I'm sure an assessment is going to be made. But, like, I I was reading someplace today where somebody said, uh, even if you get another comeback victory or something, it shouldn't change the Giants' plans. That's like an insinuation that the Giants' plans have already been made for the Giants next season as if to go in another direction, and that is a load of bull. That is not the case. I'll tell you exactly what the Giants' plans are. They're going to ascertain what is going to be over these final seven games of the season. Anyway, right now for Paulie Dots, I'm Ross Salzberg, our buddy manning the controls, Dave Dominic. Thank you for being part of Big Blue Live here on Giants.com. Go Big Blue this Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I will see you again back here next Tuesday.